You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Spotlight on eWomen, the place for everything eWomen Network. Entrepreneur, enterprising, enlightening, and exciting. Please welcome your eWoman host, Phyllis Smith. Hello, and welcome to Spotlight on eWomen Network. I'm Phyllis Smith. So we often hear stories about leaders who have overcome obstacles. Um, Oprah Winfrey comes to mind. She was repeatedly molested as a child, um, gave birth at the age of 14 to a little boy who ended up dying shortly after that. Um, Helen Keller, uh, you know, she deaf and blind by the time she was two years old, ended up becoming the first blind deaf person to uh, achieve a bachelor's a degree, and then went on to become an activist for women's rights and, and disability and, and more. Um, and so my guest today is no stranger uh, to overcoming tremendous, seemingly impossible odds. Uh, her name is uh, Dr. Dorothy uh, Martin Neville, also known as Dr. Dorothy. And she has a story of survival. I'm not kidding. Unlike anything that you've ever heard, um, you know, abuse. She's put into an orphanage only to be readopted by her birth mother. Um, and, and there's so much more. We're going to learn about that. Uh, but despite these unthinkable circumstances, Dr. Dorothy became a leader and achieved tremendous success and now helps others become leaders despite their circumstances. So Dr. Dorothy is a renowned speaker and author, featured on the Oprah Winfrey Network, um, TED Talks, New York Times, and more. Uh, please welcome Dr. Dorothy. Hello. Hey, thank you for joining us. You're so welcome. This is a joy. It's yeah, good we, to see you again. You too. We've spoken before. We've done this before, but you're just, uh, you're just somebody that I want to have again and again because you have such a compelling story and uh, so inspiring as well. So, you know, let's just start really from the beginning. Uh, from, you know, you started your life, as I mentioned, you were an illegitimate child of an alcoholic mother who right. gave birth to you, to, uh, gave you up to an orphanage. You were Correct. readopted by her. Um, and lived in terrible poverty and abuse. So kind of, I'm sort of a little setting the stage, but if you can sort of walk us through that, that would, I uh, uh, just want our listeners to, to hear what an incredible story you've, you've, you've overcome. Sure. Um, quickly, to summarize, uh, 30, 40 years or so, <laughs> do a little package. I, um, I, I was um, a product of an affair. And good Irish Catholic girls don't have affairs, and so therefore they don't have illegitimate children. So the orphanage was really the place that they thought they could put me and hide me away and let me be raised at the orphanage. And that was going to work out well. A few years later, my mother um, married somebody, got pregnant again, but married this man, found out that I... Um, that I existed, that I was in an orphanage, and he didn't believe Irish girls belonged in orphanages, so he insisted on adopting me against my mother's desires. And my grandmother lived with them as well. My grandmother my mother did not want me adopted, so it was under great protest that he did this. And when he brought me back to the home, it was in the housing projects in South Boston. When he brought me home to the house, they would not allow me in the door. So what he did was um, got a playpen and every morning would put me in a sunsuit or a snowsuit, depending on the season, and get, get me up at 5.30 and give me breakfast because my grandmother got up at 6. Get me up at 5.30, give me breakfast, put me in a sunsuit or a snowsuit, 
and put me out in a playpen by the front stoop. Most housing projects have front stoops where all the activity of the day starts. And um, he would leave me there until 9.30 at night when everybody went to bed and he would come out and get me and then bring me in and give me dinner and put me to bed and um, get me out in the morning. So this went on for about three years until um, my grandmother fell down and broke her hip. She was placed in a nursing home. So at that point, um, against my mother's protest, my father at that point could confront my mother and bring me into the house. And at that point, I realized that I had, I had numerous brothers and sisters, um, half brothers and sisters, all of them, but, but they're family. There's no such thing in my world as steps. We're all family. And um, I realized my dad was a really violent alcoholic. And uh, so my job at six became to really save them, keep them alive, keep all my brothers and sisters and my mother alive and saying, um, because both of those were threats because we were whipped or beaten. He was, uh, he was a fighter. So we would be beaten up or um, whipped every day. And if you didn't do anything wrong, he would say it's so that you remember who the boss is and uh, who's in charge and make sure you don't do anything tomorrow. So that became my life until I was 17, um, was really keeping them alive. I was hospitalized once or twice for ulcers um, because the stress was huge. But um, that was my life. You know, when you, when you live it, you don't think it's extraordinary. You just think you're getting through your life. You're doing your life. It's just it's just the world you live in. It becomes about, it becomes about survival. Really? It really does. And when you live in the housing project, so much of it is survival. You're not the only family out there. I mean, everything is to degrees, but you're not the only family out there that's surviving in the projects. Everybody's barely making it. But um, it was a community of people. When, um, so, so you, you were, did, that happened until you were 17. And then what happened at 17? How did you es- escape that situation? Well, in my world, you know, there's a number of us, about 50 of us started my freshman class and, and a very few, very few made it to graduation. And if you graduated in May, you usually got married in June and you were a success story because you were educated in that world that was educated. You had a high school degree, high school diploma, and you got married in June. And I was engaged to Michael Daniel Flaherty and we were going to be married because you marry your own kind. And Michael Daniel Flaherty was one of my own kind, um, who was wonderful, a really, really great guy. And I very much loved him. But I also wanted a bigger picture. I wanted out of Southie. I wanted out of the projects. I wanted a bigger place on this planet. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted it to be larger. And I tried to go to college. My dad didn't believe in educating girls because he had so many boys to educate. And money was really short. And so we had to choose. So we chose to educate the boys. So I decided I would get myself a job and I would go to nursing school. So I applied to nursing school, the Labrae Nursing School in Dorchester, which is the next town over, and um, discovered I went to an unaccredited inner city school. And no nursing school in the United States could accept me because I had an unaccredited inner city high school degree, even though I was a great student. I was blessed. Academics has always been easy for me. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't go to nursing school either. And so my mom said, well, just become a waitress until you get pregnant and then stay home and raise your children. And I wanted many children and I wanted to be married, but I also, again, wanted bigger. So I thought the only way out 
was to break up with Michael and I'll become a Sister of Mercy. So I applied to the Sisters of Mercy because they do social work. And I thought I would love to do social work and realized I could not become a Sister of Mercy because the Catholic Church doesn't allow a little illegitimate children in the convent. And so that road was closed as well. And to one of my teachers had said, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I guess I'm going to marry Michael. I, I can't get out. I've tried everything I know. She laughed because I was a precocious child that I had even tried the Sisters of Mercy and thought that was quite funny. But I thought, well, at least they can't send me to detention. I'd spent a lot of years in detention after school, you know, but innocent things, but a lot of years in detention. Yeah. And um, <laughs> your own personal detention at home all day long. It's just yeah, shocking. Yeah. It is shocking to me. I just, it's hard for me to even imagine what that must have been like for you for three years outside and no matter what the weather. Oh my God. Oh, anyway. to this day, I hate the cold. To this day. Do you? My mother would say, your father would come home from work and you'd have your hat and gloves off. You love the cold so much. You think a two-year-old, a three-year-old, four-year-old, they take things, they're, they're just outdoors. They don't know difference. But you said your ears would be beat red and your hands would be beat red. Your daddy always put your hat and gloves on before he went in for dinner. Ah. So then they would go in and have dinner and then he would come out and get me at 9.30. But, you, you know, you um, to this day, you know, I hate the cold. I truly yeah. do. Let me ask but, you. Uh, so, but you, you became fine. an airline stewardess. Uh, a psychotherapist, uh, you and you were in private practice. I mean, right. eventually you made it. I mean, in big yeah. time. And then, tell us about um, you. You uh, began a program. Uh, you um, let's see. You you um, an integrative. You pioneered an integrative health. I uh, did program. So tell us about that. And I mean, we can't. We don't have time to go in through the whole story of oh, your life. But obviously. Yeah. That took on great leadership, um, right. and and then tell us about that. But also, how your experience helped shape your ability to be a leader. It well, it became amazing. My my way out was uh, somebody else, a parish priest, and and one of my teachers found a community in Quebec that allowed me to enter religious life in Quebec. And so I moved to Quebec, became a uh, sister servant to the American Library, a good shepherd sister. And they sent me to college. And that lesson taught me that all oh, I have this long black habit on, that when you truly want something and you really work for it, anything is possible. That transformed how I saw myself and how I saw life itself. And from that, having a college degree and becoming a social worker, let me know if you want it, go for it. And eventually I left religious life. I realized this wasn't for me. Wanted to see the world. And the only way I could think of doing it was becoming an international airline stewardess. So I moved to Manhattan, became an international airline stewardess flying out of Kennedy. And more and more, the message was becoming clear to me. At this point, my life was in my hands. I didn't have parents. I didn't have a mother superior. My life was in my hands. And I realized I have the ability, I have that power to really become the leader of my own life. What do I want to do with my life? Because nobody is responsible for it. Nobody is in charge of it but myself. Whether I make good choices or bad choices, they're my choices. And so that really began to shift how I saw the world and my place in it. And eventually I married, I was married for 15 years and divorced with two little ones in kindergarten in the fourth grade and decided I needed to support my children. I went back to school. I got a master's degree as a therapist. 
opened up a private practice because my children were not going to be raised in the projects. And again, what are your decisions? What are your choices? What do you want to do with it? They're not going to be raised in the projects. That's not the life my children will ever know. So I went, got, opened up a private practice, got a degree, opened up a practice. I saw 42 patients a week. You know, my, it was amazing at our commencement, the dean had said to us, never have more than 20 patients a week because there are so many therapists here in the, in the area, you'll never find any more clients than that. But I ended up with 42 patients a week I saw with a six-month waiting list after three months, six-month waiting list for my afternoon and evening classes and realized no matter what people tell you, if you truly want something, how are you going to make it happen? This is absolutely your choice. Everybody who has never followed a dream is going to tell you dreams are impossible. Those who have followed their dreams, it doesn't matter what the dreams were, no, dreams can take place. So go for it. And, and I truly believe that. I was in practice about four years and became bored. And um, somebody has said to me, you should study acupressure. And I thought, that's odd. I don't even know what it is. But I studied it and went on and eventually became certified in nine modalities of integrative health care. And eventually my reputation shifted. And I started seeing clients who wanted integrative health care and said to me, teach us what you know. Well, you don't know what you know. You just practice what you know when you integrate knowledge. When knowledge stays in your head, it's just knowledge. When you integrate it and it becomes a part of who you are, it's how you walk through the planet. And so people said, tell us what you know. I didn't know what it was. And I eventually put together a six-week program, which became a two-year program, which became a four-year program. And my little courses in the evening ended up becoming in a, a program approved by the Department of Higher Education here in the state of Connecticut. And students were flying in from around the country in Canada and the Caribbean to study with me. And I decided that um, I had gone to a, a school, Barbara Brennan School, which was a four-year program in energy medicine in Long Island. And Barbara wanted nothing to do with allopathic medicine, with traditional, so-called traditional medicines. I don't believe in making enemies. So I think we need to bring the strains from all realities together. So I made it so that my juniors and seniors required to do medical internships. So they could do it in whatever state they lived in. So my school became affiliated with 50 hospitals across the country, um, then became approved by the Department of Higher Education here in Connecticut. And we were the only school and still were the only school in the United States although I closed my school about seven years ago, I had it for 19 years. We were the only school in the country that was affiliated with integrative health care and hospitals where we would go in and begin integrative health departments, doing energy medicine, doing acupressure, doing different types of work to support students in their healings, which then supported me in going forward in getting a PhD and um, psychology, but my dissertation was on the psychological and spiritual causes of physical disease and disorders. And again, all of this comes back to your health is in your hands. Back to you are the leader of your own life. You are the one who's in charge. You're, you have the power over your life and how you're going to live it. And it just became a message that was so clear in my world that after 25 years of a private practice, I ended up working now with executive leaders, executive women leaders, supporting them, recognizing the way they self-sabotage, the way they get in their own way, 
the way old belief systems from childhood or from their culture. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's really quite amazing that you can have, and, and particularly women, and we're going to take a short break and, uh, and, and talk a little bit more about this, but particularly women tend to self-sabotage. Am I correct? It's kind of gender specific. <laughs> <laughs> we all do it, but women do it in their own unique way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting that someone like you, you know, I'm sure that with what you've been through, it would be so easy to spiral, right? To become the victim and yeah. then hold yourself back because of what you've been through and use that as an excuse. And you right. flipped it around and instead, you know, became again, wildly, you know, successful in an area that you're making a difference in people's lives, you know? Um, yeah. And 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 changing people and helping others, you're past, you know, paying it forward, so to speak, as we yeah. heard before. So let us just take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to get into what it takes to be a leader, how to overcome those obstacles and what seemingly impossible odds. So right. give us take a moment, and we'll be right back. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Welcome back to Spotlight on eWomen. Here's your host, Phyllis Smith. And welcome back to Spotlight on eWomen Network. I'm Phyllis Smith. I'm speaking with Dr. Dorothy. She is something else okay this woman she's this is the second time i've had her on my show just because i just i just cannot get over the life she's led you know raised you know in an abusive home um overcoming and horrible horrible odds and now is has really paid it forward in helping others to overcome their own obstacles and you know and become leaders and we were just talking about how women tend to self-sabotage tell right. me about that dr dorothy why is that so gender specific why do we do that well men and women both self-sabotage but women have created their own unique ways of doing it and um and it's really amazing to see. And, and I've worked with um, very high-end clients, women who have a good quarter and they get a half million dollar bonus. You know, so I've, I've worked with high-end women and women who are just starting out. And what I find consistently is that women have this sense of what leadership looks like. And leadership isn't who they are. It's a role they believe they're supposed to play. Ooh, All right. Ooh, very interesting. Thinking of in terms of that mindset, we're right. playing a role as opposed to we're a leader. Yeah, we are. It's who I am. Yeah. I, I don't follow well. Consequently, I've learned to take responsibility for my life. My vision is this, whether it's my company or in the C-suite or CEO, you know, the, the head of the company, uh, the president of the company, whatever it is your vision is. Our leadership has nothing to do with the role we play. Janitors can be effective leaders. So it's stepping back into a leader is somebody who takes responsibility 
to walk in front of the, cl- the crowd, to walk in front, because a leader leads. A leader doesn't manage. A manager manages the chaos, if you will, that manages a department. A leader doesn't manage. A leader is out front. They are the one in a company creating the culture of the company. They are the one with the vision, with the mission statement that is taking this company to that next place. And if you don't have that ability, but you still want to open a company of your own, well, then it's best to find somebody who you can share your vision with who has the personality and they can become the visionary leader, but you're the one feeding them. You're the one supporting them. If your personality isn't such that you can get out in front, you can get on stage and make it happen. But you have to own the fact that it's my company. I'm in charge. It's my vision. And I may not like the way I express it or feel comfortable expressing it. So I'll hire somebody else to do that. But it's my company and I'm leading the game. When we own that, when we truly recognize our leadership, not as a role we play, but as who we are, we then can begin to look at what ways do we give our power away? What ways do we give our leadership away? And my experience with women is no matter how high or low their position, there is a feeling as if they've got to compete against. And that I need to compete against puts me in a back position. When I have to compete, it means I'm not as powerful as I want to be. Somebody else can impede my power. Nobody can. Nobody can get in your way. We can have competition in business, but nobody can take your power away. Let me ask you this. You know, we hear the phrase, you're, oh, he's a, or she is a, is a born leader. Do you right. think that you're a born, do you that people are born leaders? Like they're born, their DNA sets them up for that? Or is this something that we can, like what you're describing is, is we can learn that? I believe every one of us is a born leader. I think the difference is, especially as women, some of us own our leadership. Some of us sit on it because we're terrified of being too much. Some of us have never been taught how to lead, and we either become aggressive and controlling, which is a defensive play, very powerful energy, which with training could make them effective leaders. But when we are aggressive and seeking control, we're in fear. And we cannot lead when we're in fear, all right? So I think we all have one with the ability to be leaders. Not all of us choose to develop it. Some of us prefer to be dependent and have others take care of us. Do you think it's generational? Like, just let me give you an example. So my, I was raised when that, um, I mean, both of my parents are amazing people, happy, Ozzy and Harriet marriage, right? They're still married after like, I don't know, 64 years or something. Um, My mom uh, was a teacher, but my dad kind of didn't want her to go get her master's, so she didn't because I think he was maybe in some way, I don't know, threatened by that. Um, When I would go play tennis, I remember I was going to play tennis against a guy I had a crush on, and my dad actually told me not to win. So yeah. And, and I have a tremendous drive. Um, and, and, but it's real interesting that I could self-sabotage. Um, and so 
but today, are you seeing similar circumstances with women today or our millennials, um, you know, yeah. even our 30 somethings? So are you seeing that they see themselves that way or is it just kind of a, a female thing? I, I see it across the board. I absolutely see it across the board. I see 30 something um, single mothers who are overwhelmed and it's hard. I was a single mother, you know, it's not the easiest job in the world, but I see them hoping to find that man who can come in and help them raise the kids. I see them hoping to find a situation where that's going to make it all better. I, I see them hoping rather than what do you want to do to make this all better? What do you want to do to make this work more easily for you and your children? And I also see that regardless of age, women, if you notice it, spend a whole lot of time saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you know where the meeting is being held? I'm sorry, but I have, what if we simply said, and I'm doing, I'm doing a masterclass on this in a few days. Um, what if we simply said, I didn't hear what they had to say. When, when is that next meeting? If you don't mind. All right. I'm sorry makes you small. And not that we should never feel apologetic, but there are so many ways to deal with this. When we are continuously apologizing as a way of life, men see us as weak. And what we're really saying is, I'm sorry I exist. I'm sorry I take up space. I'm sorry I get in your way. To say to you, Oh, and which isn't the case, obviously, here, but, oh, I was five minutes late as something came up. I, I truly want to apologize for that. Now, let's begin. Sounds very different than, I'm so sorry I was late. I really didn't mean to be, but I couldn't help it. This is what happened. And all of a sudden, I'm explaining and justifying. And women do that on a regular basis, giving their power away through the apology. And I think it's something we really need to look at. Because standing in our power and just saying, I made a mistake, how can I make up for that? You know, I, I, what can I do now to help rectify this? Really is me speaking as a powerful woman to another powerful woman, not a child. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, uh, and and you know it, it would the other here's another interesting thing is that we of course E Women Network you know we we mm -hmm. are the you know number number one resource for women entrepreneurs so we are made up our 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 whole membership right. is our entrepreneurs women entrepreneurs, but it's so interesting and Sandra brings this up all the time how you know only two percent you know of of women entrepreneurs make it to a million. And um, of course, that's, that's, our, that's our, our mission is, you know, 1 million women each achieving $1 million um, at dollars in annual revenue. Right. But there's something that's holding them back from that bigness. And it sounds like what you're saying is this mindset that this whole, you know, it almost hurts me when you said that we just, we kind of don't want to take up space. Like I kind of feel that in my right. body, right. you know, that feeling of, ew, you know, I, we're taking up space. Oh, I'm so sorry. Even if di like dynamic, like, you know, we can come across like dynamic people, there's still an, a lack of awareness underneath it all, what we really are doing. Like it's that subtle thing that is right. preventing us from moving forward. We're stuck in a training that says we should be nice. We cannot be nice and real at the same time. 
And if we are going to make a million dollars, we've got to be real. We've got to be authentic. Authentic, real leaders have authentic and real businesses that thrive. Nice girls don't have access to their own personal power. So we really need to look at that 98%. How many are caught up in being nice? And not for a moment do I mean aggressive because I'm as appalled to aggressive as I am by nice. Powerful is never aggressive, but powerful is never nice. Mm. Powerful is real. It feels terrific. And if I'm going to be real and authentic and powerful with you, it calls you to be authentic, powerful, and real with me. You say that power actually is diametrically opposed to control. Absolutely. That we difference. must know the difference to be a true leader. Right. So explain right. the difference. Well, when I am powerful, I am. It truly is a statement that says, I am. You may disagree with me on something. That's great. That's your opinion. You can disagree. I have nothing to prove. You know, I... I love warm weather. You know cold weather is much better for you. All right, just to pick some ludicrous example. Great for you. I hope you live up north and have a ball in Alaska. I'll be going to the Caribbean. I don't have to prove to you why one is better than the other. Now, and, and I can let that go without going into any fear, any defense that says I'm less than because you don't agree with me. If I want control... My point is to prove you wrong. If I want control, my point is to prove I am as powerful as you, if not more. And I will make you see that. So my energy isn't going into moving forward. My energy is going into showing you and anybody else like you that you are not as smart or as powerful, or as capable as I am. Mm. So all my energy is in the battle. It's it, not moving forward. It's the idea of the power to, which is right. the, your first, what you were describing, the power to be a leader, the power to right. do something as opposed to the power over. Right. Power over keeps us in defense. And if we are in defense, if we are in aggression, and aggression is always a defensive play. Aggression is always against something. All the energy that I put into being against something is energy I can't put in to creating something. So to start becoming a leader today, the leader we are born to be, you say you, right. it starts from the minute you open your eyes in the morning. It's a state of being. It's not something we do. It's a state of being. So that if somebody speaks to you at six in the morning, you may say, give me a moment to, to get my equilibrium. I just woke up. But once you've got it, you're in place. You know, at this point in time, you have nothing you ever need to react to, but only things you respond to or initiate. So when we are empowered and it's a way of looking at life, I initiate or I respond. Mm -hmm. I never, ever react. Dramatically different. Yeah. You say when you get out of the bed every morning, 
you have to say to yourself that you, or no, no, don't just say no. it. No, you are already powerful. You're already a leader and you already have a purpose. When I wake up in the morning, literally, I spend anywhere from a minute to 20 minutes, depending on my day, in meditation while I'm still in bed. Mm. And in that time frame, I become centered back into who I am, the woman I've become today. So who am I today? Breathing that in, thanking God for all of the opportunities I've been provided and the strength to make the choices I did. So that by the time I literally put my feet on the floor, I'm ready to start the day mm. with all of me in it. Becomes a state of being, not a job title. Never. One final thought is, and we, we, I could go on for the whole day, maybe a week with you, just going through all this. It's just, I'm so blessed. I'm just so grateful to, that you're a part of us, eWomen Network, that, we've, uh, that, you're, that you're out there and, and impacting and changing in uh, others' uh, lives and helping them really know their true right. leadership yeah. uh, Role, a position, not a role. Their true, their true leader. Their ownership, ownership of ownership, what they are. Yeah. Really. The other thing I think is also uh, it's really something I want our listeners to take away. You say effective leaders create leaders daily, and only hire people who are leaders working for right. them. So you know, someone else might say, "Well, you can't have a bunch of A's. You got to have some A's, and then you got to have some B's, and." You know, you know, a B level and an A level. And if you have too many leaders, you know, too many cooks spoil the pot, you know. Spoil, uh, if you have too many people in defense, you will never get anything accomplished. If you have true leaders who are leading, they are responding and initiating, not reacting. I want my VA to have the strength to not be nice. So I send something to her. She doesn't want to hurt my feelings, so she sends it through. I'd rather have a VA who's powerful enough that says to me, um, a daughter, you sent this out. I think it could be rephrased better. Terrific. Tell me what you think. Let me know what you think is better. And she may have a far better idea than I came up with. Fantastic. I want her to have the leadership skills that say, this is what I do as a VA, and I do it well. I want my receptionist to say, um, I think you've set yourself up. You're not giving yourself enough time for this particular meeting. Remember last time? Thank you for that. That's, I want them to not be nice and support me because I'm so fragile. They need to be gentle with me. Be real. Be real. Say, you know, hey, daughter, I think we ought to talk about this. Well, then let's. Because now I can trust they have the strength to take the initiative. They are leading the company and me to where I want it to go. And with that level of leadership, they know their role in the company. They know their position. But we have one vision, one objective, and we're working together. And they know I respect their authority in their position. Now I can trust everybody. We've got each other's back. And none of them are busy being nice mm. because that would be offensive to me. And it, you know, a, a tr what you're real, what you're saying to me, just the overarching is a true leader knows herself, 
her self-worth, like really knows it, doesn't just right. sit, doesn't just speak it like I'm worthy and give yourselves after affirmations. Because if you know what your gifts are, mm-hmm. then you also can allow others to provide their gift to you, like your VA, like your receptionist. They can see your blind spot and you're open to it. And, and you want it. You want it. Yeah. You want them to be powerful. Because no, Matt, if this is my vision. This is my vision for my life and consequently my company. So no matter how good she is at whatever her role is, it's my vision. So what do I need to be frightened of? I want, and I want my friends to say to me, hey, do you think you're going off base on this one? You're getting caught by the, by the, the shiny objects over here? God damn, that was so easy. How did I do that? Thanks. Mm. Back on purpose. Back to go. Friends who, yeah, you can sit and have a glass of wine with and laugh and giggle with or cry with. But friends who simultaneously know this is who I am. And that's who they are. Because if they're going to be my friend, they need to have that strength to, to be partners with me in life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we are busy, the 98% my heart goes out to them, which is why I love working with women who've already made it. My clients are women who have been successful, who want to know how they're getting in their own way, who want to go, plus if they're going to afford me, they're going to have to be successful so that they know where they want to go, what they want that to look like, and most importantly, who do they want to become? Mm. Because who you want to become is even more important than what do you want to do? Because what we do changes. Changes. We- and, and, and don't you think, too, what we want to become, I mean, we could start out in a business and then 10 years later, you know, or 20 years later, they're, the becoming is could be something a little different. It could be, well, I've done this. Like you've had various careers in your life, right? And, and so, and then I think, I believe that, um, that, that becoming is evolving all the time. I mean, when we're 80, we're becoming something else at that later stage in our life. God willing, God willing. If we don't and what we do remains the same, we have become stagnant. We have become stagnant. I was a social worker empowering people. I then became a therapist empowering people. I then became a a healer while I was also having a therapy practice. I also had my school. I had 63 positions on staff, but I had my school. But in both situations, I was empowering people to own their lives and become more of who they are. And now I work with women, helping them become more of who they are as leaders, as effective leaders. Don't settle for 1 million, go for 2 million, go for 3 million. Don't become work obsessed but become growth obsessed, you know, and enjoy yourself to always taking time to stop growing. Take a week just to play. Mm. We can't be in process all the time. We need time off to play. And oftentimes what happens when you take that week to play is you start integrating all of this stuff from the past. It catches up with you. And the woman who walks out of holiday is more who she is than the woman who walked into holiday, mm. you know, yeah. because you caught up, your growth caught up with you and that supported your transformation. So we need to stop growing and processing so we can just be and catch up. But my experience consistently 
is with the women I work with is that there do shifts and changes because as they grow, what they were doing doesn't feed them anymore. If they stay with the same company, they expand it. If they don't stay with the same company, it's not something dramatically different because every skill I've developed in all the jobs I've held has created a me that I'm bringing to my next job. Mm. So all of those helped this transformation. It isn't I'm doing, I'm dramatically different or doing something different. I'm more. And it's based on my life experiences from my past. Uh, yes, absolutely. And you are, I, I'm, you just say it right on. I mean, I, 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 I feel it in myself when you talk about those things. I feel I've had so many great jobs, interesting things that I've done. And I've, I've really, I mean, I just... I'm one of those people that just go after it, you know, right. but there still is something, a little voice occasionally in my head that said, not so fast, you know, That's but I do want to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, first, uh, just before we end, just how can people reach you? What's the best way to reach out to you? They can give me a call, 860-543-5629. They can drop me an email at Dorothy at ask. DrDorothy.com. That's A-S-K-D-R, Dorothy, D-O-R-O-T-H-Y.com. So an email or a phone call, I'm here. I love what I do. Mm. I'd love the more women I can work with, the better. I allow that many more women and support that many women to take off and fly. Become who you truly are, not who somebody told you you're meant to be. And on that note, I do want to say that you say that we are not our history, but I have to believe that because of your history and having right. had no control right. that, and, and so unempowered that you now spend your life empowering others. So in a good way, you've turned right. around that, that, you know, horrible nightmare into something that is a beautiful thing and, and a gift to us all. So thank you thank so you. much, Dr. Dorothy. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network.